just like a tear to go and blur out everything. This is a beautiful song sung by Don Knott. Have a listen. Ain't it just like love to leave a mark on the skin underneath? Yeah, when the pain goes and shadows. It's not Don Knott's. I would, has Don not recorded any music, any songs? I don't know. It can't be worse than Shatner. Rocket Man. Rocket Man. <laughs> I can see you. <laughs> Don Knotts. One of the best stories I've ever I was ever told about Don Knotts oh, was yeah, by Tim Conway. Story. They were they were filming uh, the Apple Dumpling Gang. Yes. And they were uh, in, dressed in tutus for this. This uh, this particular scene and Don Knotts kept getting cold. He said, "He said to Tim, you know, Tim, I, I think I'm going to get a cold if I keep uh, doing this and dressing. So why don't you just get changed at home? Because they're on this uh, on site, dressed in tutus, and yeah. there was no heating in the room or what. Right, I don't know, right, whatever. Right. So Tim says, just change it to the hotel. Well, that's a good idea, Tim. I don't think I'll do that. And so they come back after a day of shooting. Don Knotts is in his tutu. Tim's changed. Tim says, I'm going to go into the bar and have a drink. He says, Don says, well. I'll, I'm going to go over to the room, and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll catch you later. So Tim sits, saddles up to the bar, and <clears throat> a few minutes later, out of the corner of his eye, there's Don Knotts in this rough, rough, rough cowboy bar, saddles up beside Tim and his tutu and says, uh, Tim, do you have the key to the room? <laughs> and Tim says, don't you think we should talk about price first? <laughs> Anyway, uh, folks, live on the Drew Marshall Show, the moment many of you have been waiting for. I wonder how long it's been since we've had Mr. Young on the show. Years. I think the last no. time he was here, he was live. No, he's... I'm still alive. <laughs> have you Have you yes. been... You've been in the studio, right? Haven't you? Twice. Twice. A bunch of times. Yeah. I don't remember we yeah, sent him and you. Melinda out wandering the streets asking people random questions? Oh, I don't we remember. Did. I do sort of remember that, but I've tried to block a lot of stuff. How are yeah. you, Paul? Well, that was before your vow of silence. <laughs> <laughs> so much has leaked out of me since. Uh, uh, yeah, but it did affect the stock market, i got to say. About 10 years ago, I think, uh, I'm going to read some stuff. You tell me if the, if the uh, information is correct. The Shack was a self-published novel originally written as a Christmas gift for Paul Young's kids, then with a marketing budget of a few hundred dollars. Eventually, the book sold over a million copies within a year out of his garage. Is that all true? Close. It wasn't my garage. It was Brad's garage. Oh, okay. And uh, because he he volunteered to ship books out of his house at night because he was putting in people's sprinkler systems during the day. So okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it was and uh, yeah. And today and the shack has sold over it. twenty million copies. Yeah, twenty-two, I think. And 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 how funny is this? Today it hit number one on Amazon uh, in all books again. And then it also hit uh, number three this week on the New York Times. That's crazy. So, that is so crazy. So you write a book for your kids, make 15 copies at Office Depot, and it's, and it's had this sort of ripple effect that is just absolutely astounding to watch. Well, I told you a little story that I'm going to retell it on the air right now, tell our listeners. While I was doing the vow of silence thing, I was on a... Um, on an island off the coast of Western Sahara, staying at a monastery. And I asked one of the monks, well, I typed it out because it was about silence. And I said, can you show me your library? I'd like to see, you know, he gave me a tour. And he showed me the library. And he said, show me your oldest book, the oldest book you got. So he brings out this archaic book, sets it down on the desk or the table or whatever it is. And underneath it, I see a book cover that's really familiar. And it says, 
a cabana. And I look at it and I go, are you kidding me? So I just stayed at this place for a week and I've been incensed up through the like my brains. Incense and robes and chanting and singing and religion, 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 religion. And I'm thinking, why would this book be here? This is a this is a almost an anti religious book. And I so I said to the the brother, I said, What's with this? He says, It's my favorite book. You gotta be kidding me. Is it cause you're like the young monk? That sounds like a band. Um, and he goes, no, all the monks, everyone here, it's their favorite book. How crazy is that, that I, that I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that a bunch of monks in a monastery would dig the shack? What's wrong with me, Paul? Well, no, it was a setup for you. Oh. you got to understand. You know how long it took God to set up all that monk stuff in order to, to intercept you in your vow of silence and kind of sh- shake your world? You yeah. know, that is so fun. I love that story. Well, it and it's even better that it's true. It yeah, it does. It helps that it's true. No, it was disturbing for me because you know I I really when I read the shack, the reason I resonated with it is because if you go to a website called tohellwithreligion.com, go there right now, folks. Tohellwithreligion.com. That's a subdomain for my website, and I think one of the reasons Jesus was murdered is because he said, basically, to hell with religion. And so I read the shack, and I heard and saw and felt to hell with religion let's raise love above religion that's what i saw in the shack so that's why it wigged me out when i was hanging out with a bunch of religious dudes and how they love the shack so weird let me let me add more fuel to the fire you know i've been thinking a, a bit lately about i don't believe god has ever been religious at all you know there's been never an order of service it wasn't like so is the holy spirit doing communion this week or you know, and uh, it's always been about relationships. So that the the implications of that are staggering, which means every bit of religion that the human race brings to the table is exactly that. We brought it in our darkness and our need for control and our in our desire to transcend out of the stuff and the brokenness of our own hearts. We brought that to the table. And here's the other miraculous piece of that. This is a God who submits by nature, and that really bugs people, but it's the truth. If there's no other iconic presentation of that, it's the cross. Mm. The cross isn't God's idea. It's ours. So that's part of our religion that needs to be appeased in some kind of sacrifice. So we bring it to the table, and this God, who is relentless affection, climbs on and submits to our torture device in order to destroy it. So I think in every religious system on the planet, you will find the presence of God who is working within a respect for humanity in, with the intention of destroying that religion from the inside out and leaving everything that is truly precious still there. You are just like a walking... Smart guy. <laughs> no. You... <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Poor pile of... Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, well, let's let's just talk about this movie for a couple of minutes. March third, fourth, fifth—that's opening weekend. Uh, apparently, if you if you'd like the movie to stay around longer in theaters, it's really important for everybody to go opening weekend. Is that a true story? That is a true story. That's okay. they kind of do this whole stuff down in their statistical stuff with Lionsgate. Well, all the all the movie house houses do that and and it is it's a significant thing but um you know the 
the kind of feeding uh, feedback that we're getting from the screenings and everything else, it looks so it looks like it's going to do incredibly well. And I get I get to take Amy, one of my one of our daughters, to the red carpet thing in New York on Tuesday. How very, cool is that? Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, what's not cool is me sitting beside other guys in a movie theater sobbing with snot pouring yeah, out of my nose. Yeah. I sent I you a text during the screening. I said, what did I say in my you text? Did. I said something like, dude, I hate you. I know. I know. That's exactly what you texted me. And uh, and it made me laugh because I knew exactly what you were talking about. Because <laughs> You know what? I cried my way through writing the book. I cried my way through the screeners. And I still do. I mean, there's... There are some parts of that that just meet you in a place that's just yours. It's, you know, and I think that's the beauty of it is it's so layered that people can come in from any kind of background and it's going to it's going to affirm them or confront them or or challenge them, invite them to take some steps away from maybe where they're stuck. And I think that's really, really a good thing. But just because a movie grabs you by the heartstrings and it's a God's, you know, there's God stuff in the movie or whatever, doesn't make it accurate. Eh? Doesn't make it theologically correct, Paul. And so yeah. just because yeah. I cried in the movie, just because I, I wept when I read the stupid book, <laughs> um, <laughs> j- doesn't make it accurate. So, yeah. you're, so You're right. But just because you're a theologian doesn't make you right either. <sighs> Snap, huh? See, walking smart guy. <laughs> That's Tim's comeback for all that. No, I um, <laughs> I, I I'm terrified. No, I'm not terrified. I am afraid of. <clears throat> I'm afraid of believing wrong stuff. What do you? How yeah, do you push back you, on that? Where, where are you going to start? You know, I for me, I go back. To Jesus, you know, my favorite character in the, in, that I identify in the New Testament is in, is a story that John writes in the Gospels, and it's about the man born blind. If you want to read a fantastic story, it takes up an entire chapter, so it's like really significant. And uh, and it, here's a guy that's just by the side of the road. He's an outcast because he has a deformity, which means he's unclean religiously, but no education, right? So, and he becomes. A, a centerpiece for a Sunday school lesson, as far as he's concerned. You know, he doesn't even know who Jesus is, and there's this theological debate happening around him. And suddenly he, he hears somebody spit, and, and mud gets plastered in his eye sockets. I mean, the, the sense of that whole story is that this man doesn't even have anything in his eye sockets. He's not just born blind. He can't—he has nothing there. And this is why they had a problem trying to recognize him later, because, you know, he looked— different, although the same. And, um, but this guy, and Jesus then leaves, tells him to go wash it off. And when he washes it off, he has eyes. And it's like, Whoa. now what? And all of a sudden, he's in the middle of this monstrous <clears throat> theological debate about the efficacy of this man who would walk around and, and do this kind of thing, and you watch the transformation in this man's heart from, well, there was a guy, I don't even know who he was. He just came by, and he starts to change his language. Like It's not like he spat in the ground and, and plastered my eyes. No, he anointed my eyes. And then he's going like, yeah, um, maybe he's a prophet. And they're just like, no, you can't say that he's a prophet. And then it gets to the point where he's saying to these theologians, uh, like, you don't want to be one of his followers too, do you? And you see this transition, but it happens inside experience. Hmm. And so 
part of my pushback to your question is, look at your experience. What kinds of things fires your heart? Where does your longing push you toward? It, and I can tell you that it pushes you towards becoming a whole person, that is, um, a person of integrity, where your inside world and your outside world match, hmm. and, or toward beauty, or wonder, or surprise. And if you, know, if you have children, and your children don't change your theology, wait till you have grandchildren. They will. <laughs> and um, you know, it's, if you want to know where the truth is, what, where do you see coherence? Where do you see someone's life that actually the, what they think and believe is matched by how they live? If, if you can find that, and I find that in Jesus all the way along, so that's where I start. I, there's a line in the movie, and, and uh, pa- Papa says, you know, truth has a name, and he's out there covered in sawdust. You know, hmm. and, and it, it means that we're not dealing with ideology here. You know, you know how much that really helps us out. We're dealing with relationship, with person, with openness, with authenticity, and... Um, that's where we're going to find truth. Here's a website you want to check out. It's WM Paul Young, WMPaulYoung.com. And that's where you will find this gentleman, William P. Young, author of The Shack. Uh, Paul, today we were going to uh, chat with a <laughs> man who uh, is on death row. And he's been on death row for 33 years. He, um, but the, the system wouldn't let, wouldn't let this happen today. Right, I know. So I'm sorry about that. So you would have loved talking to Terry. Yeah, but why? So Terry is a man who's been on death row 33 years in Tennessee, and um, because of a friend of a friend um, relationship, uh, Terry had made a request that if there was ever any possibility, he could meet me because. The shack has made its way not just into prisons but into death row, and it's having this incredible ripple effect and it had found terry um at a really critical juncture for him and here's what's the crazy thing there is a scene in the book and in the movie where mackenzie has to deal face to face with the wisdom of god and it's really a confrontation about how much we are judges not just with one another but we judge the character of god and um and in and when terry read that section, that chapter, it crushed him. And here's why. Here's, here's what's so amazing about this. The reason that it had such an obliterating effect on him is because for, for years, he had not dealt with what he had done or owned it completely because he judged the pedophiles who were on death row because he, he didn't do that. And so he was better than them. And when that judgment happened, it took away his excuse to face his own stuff. And when he did, he said he was literally crawling on the floor of his cell trying to get out of his own body. And uh, it had a massive uh, effect and impact on his life. So I went in and spent like two and a half hours with Terry and, and one of his buddies on death row, who Ron, who's been there 30 years. And I got there the day after... Um, Terry had had his last hearing, uh, and so right now he is waiting to hear if there is a, a date for his execution. And um, and I got I, I went and saw him the day after he had his last hearing. So we spent two and a half hours, uh, 
Terry and Ron and I and a, uh, a couple other friends. And I tell you, I have rarely been around two men who are as free as those two brothers. Even And they own what they've done. They know that what they did is horrific. It was against uh, a creation of God, a, uh, a, a human being. And so they own it. And um, But in owning it and in facing it, they have found a way to forgive themselves. Terry, he anticipates that the, that the world system of justice will, um, will take his life. And, um, but we talked about it. And let me tell you a couple little things about that conversation. At one point, um, Terry says, I mean, he would reach over and he'd, and he'd just touch me and he'd go like, and he'd start to cry. And he'd say, I can't believe you're here. You know, he said, and, and I was afraid you'd be a preachy kind of guy. And he says, you're just normal. You're one of, you're one of us. And, and it's true. And, uh, and he says, you know, Ron and I, what we, what we talk about besides the Jesus stuff and about how that's making a difference in our lives. And, and Terry is actually looking to find ways for people to come in and visit the pedophiles because some of them have not had a one single visitor in decades. Wow. And, um, and so Terry says, you know, we, we dream about what it must be like to walk on grass. He said, you know, it's been 33 years since I got to walk on grass. We see it, but everything for us is concrete and rock and tile. And, um, and he said, just can you imagine stepping on something that just sort of springs back? And, he, and then Ron says, you know, one night the uh, guards forgot about us out in the yard. And the yard is all, you know, gravel and concrete. And he said, so we're out in the yard. And I say to Terry, do you think that uh, we should tell them? And Terry says, nah, they'll figure it out. And he says, we got to be out there when the stars came out, and we hadn't seen the stars in decades. And we're looking up, and it's a clear night, and the Milky Way comes up, and it's the most beautiful thing we've ever seen. And I'm going like, how, how much of my life do I just walk right past? And I said, Terry, you know, the, everybody out in the world out there, a lot of us are in prisons. We just can't see them. You have a simplicity and a clarity about what's around you that absolutely changes everything. And as we're walking out of the prison, they're pointing out, that's the building that they execute them in. And they said they have this whole ritual they go through. It's almost like a religious service where they have to make sure that in that ritual they sterilize the needles. And they have all the equipment there because it gets so stressful that some of the guys have heart attacks and they have all the resuscitatory equipment there because they want to bring that person back to life so that they can kill them. And I'm going like, thank God that God is not that kind of a punitive, retributive SOB. You know, this is the best that our justice system can do. For real? I mean, we've got to find a better way past this kind of stuff. And I, and I told Dave, who is the guy that was with me, I said, you know, if Terry has a date and he wants me to be there, I'll be there. I'll be with him. Okay. Well, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Yeah. I'm kind of shot myself. <laughs> you know, and I have this clock that sits behind my desk right here, and Terry made it for me for Christmas. It's it's in the shape of a shack, and it's it's got these little handmade tools, you know, and it's, and it's wonderful. Hmm. And he's just saying, I just wanted to find a way to say thank you. 
And it's, uh, but again, you know, yeah. we live in a broken world. I just realized that you have done an awful lot for me in my life, and I've done nothing for you. I want to give you some. Do we have any coupons or things we can send Paul? Oh, uh, how about um, two, for, two for one Swish LA coupons? Oh, he's in the States. We can't send him the No, CD. that's right. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The border thing. I owe you a big time, man. It's, oh, brother. You know what? Every, every relationship is a two-way street. And, uh, yeah, what? That's what I'm saying. I, what have I done for you? What have I done for you lately? Oh, you 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 have been through Marshall to me, and and that's a gift. It's not just a gift to me. It's it's a gift debatable. to everyone that you come in contact yeah, with. Because we learn through trials. Right? Because you have you you have enough shame in your background that you can't receive a compliment without thinking it's an expectation <laughs> to perform. <laughs> 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 okay, that's the end of that conversation, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Paul freaking young, oh, buddy. Well, uh, I, I I promised that we keep we'd keep it short. But we do we are going to uh, move on in our show here. I, I did tell our listeners that we would open up the phone lines and uh, and if they wanted to ask you questions or talk to you or whatever. But we just I just I'm not good with time management. I screwed it up basically. That's so. that's okay. And hey, um, yeah. we had a World Vision thing on there. Yeah. I think we're putting together a little tour up in Ontario, Ottawa, Kingston, Peterborough, Toronto, uh, Kitchener, London, Hamilton. So um, that's Good. coming at the end of April, first part of May. So watch out for that. Good. Uh, so I, I think I've, I'll be able to see you. Any, ch- be awesome. any chance I could drop you off at the Norman Bates Motel again? Oh, yeah, you got to tell people about that. <laughs> yeah, okay. that was such a great thing. Paul. All right, Drew. I, I, got, I got nothing but thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank You're you. welcome. Take care, Bye-bye. mate. Bye-bye. You bet. Bye. Paul Young on the Drew Marshall Show. Man, what a system that we live in that they bring someone back to life yeah. so they can execute him. It's it's whack. Hey. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry we didn't open up the phone lines there, but... Ain't it just like a tear? 